0: And we've already talked about it. If you're showing up today to hear our pastor speak, uh, they had a death in the family. So he's up in Indiana. And I'm here. And when when he called me on Tuesday and said that there was a 95% chance that uh, obviously he wouldn't be back for... Sunday. So he said, would you speak? And I said, okay. So then my wife and a few other people I mentioned it to said, well, if you're speaking on Easter, you have to preach about the resurrection. And of course, I uh, reminded them of my Aunt Velma, my mom Thelma's twin, who we used to visit in the summer all the time. And she didn't coin the phrase, but she used it more than any other person I knew. So... We'd go up there for a vacation in the summer and stay at her farm. The kids, when they were younger, got a little taste of my childhood. And we'd get up in the morning, Angie would get all the kids dressed, and we'd be eating breakfast, and she'd go, what are we going to do today? And of course, she already had everything planned out, but she would ask the kids, like, what are we going to do today? And say, any one of them said, well, Aunt Valme, we have to go to the zoo today. And she'd say, all you have to do is die and pay taxes. That was one of her favorite, of course then her uh, her nephew would come back and say, well technically Aunt Velma, you don't have to ta- pay taxes, but if you get caught you end up like uh, Al Capone or uh, Wesley Snipes the actor who had to spend a little time in prison because they didn't pay their proper amount of taxes on their income. But anyway, uh, we are going to the message is going to be about the resurrection, but we're not going to like tell the Passion Week story out of the Gospels. And I mean, how am I supposed to follow up Mark's offertory song? So, that pretty much puts it in a nutshell. He is uh, alive, he is risen, happy Resurrection Day. Or to what people in the world call it, Easter. But... Uh, <clears throat> We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, so there's your first tell, that's not going to be, I'm not. we're not in the Gospels, I mean we might reference some of the Gospels, and we're going to be around here and there, and once again, after Al called me on Tuesday, he texted me this morning at about 5 something and said, uh, hey don't forget I need uh, your passage and the title of your message, so I responded with... Uh, a title that I could come up with at 5-something in the morning. And this this passage, Philippians chapter 3, but we will be in other passages once again. We'll start at the beginning of chapter 3, but we're going to get down and focus on a verse down in there. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I might myself uh, might have confidence even in the flesh. And then he goes on about himself. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. because he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was the persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. But, he says in verse 7, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss, For the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him. Not having a righteousness other than my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10 then. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I used to hear an evangelist when I was at Tennessee Temple and attended Highland Park I was an off-campus student, so I didn't technically have to attend Highland Park. But uh, if you came to Temple and you lived in the dorms, you attended Highland Park Baptist Church. That was this part of the thing. But anyway, there was an evangelist used to come through there. Would always read parts of the scripture, and then when he wanted to hear an amen, he would say that phrase, and all God's people said, "Amen." But there's more to that. Verse ten. We are going to talk about the power of the resurrection because this is Resurrection Sunday. But let's continue in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, very familiar verses, forgetting that which lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And obviously, in verse 10, the resurrection, uh, and then in verse 11, the word resurrection, and those are not the they're similar, but they're not the same. Uh, there was a prefix added to the second resurrection. In verse 11, that's actually the prefix means that, uh, so the out resurrection, or to stand up out of those who have been resurrected. And we will get to some of that. But power of his resurrection, and that term power of the resurrection is the Greek word dunamis, which we get our English word dynamite, and, uh, or dynamite. But uh, when I was also at Temple WDYN, they used to have a program on, it was called the gospel dynamite, you know, the power of the gospel. But it's all made possible by the power of his resurrection. What would happen if he wasn't resurrected? Well, Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's swing back to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Starting chapter 12, I mean, verse 12 of chapter 15, Paul says. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, and this is after his, remember Corinth, when he got to Corinth, he didn't find a bunch of uh, believers there. So if you go back to the beginning of chapter uh, 15, he said, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, the resurrection. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. So he came with the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when he got to Corinth. But now he's going on in verse 12, he says, If Christ is priest, he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Which branch of the, uh, of the teachers of the nation of Israel denied the resurrection? The Sadducees. They said there was no resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Then he turns it on verse 20 and says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Christ has been raised. This is Resurrection Sunday. He has been raised. And we can have a connection, or we can avail ourselves, as it said in Philippians 3.10, of the power of the resurrection. I remember years ago, Mark, I don't even remember what uh, book of the Bible Mark was, uh, we were going through at the time in Sunday school, but he drew a uh, schematic up on the board of a power source or power grid or you know, electricity. If any of the Bereans remember that, I do, Mark. But uh, I know enough about electricity to be really dangerous. so I don't mess with it, but he drew it. He was talking about, you know, the power connection and then being the power being disconnected. So because of the resurrection, we can avail ourselves of the power of the resurrection. But there's certain things we have to do. So really, we are talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're just not talking about the Passion Week and all that and eating up and all the suffering that he went through because he did suffer for us. But we are talking about, sort of, Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. What does that mean to us now of the power of the resurrection and being able to avail ourselves of that power? <clears throat> so if we uh, turn to Roman, it also said, you remember, we are made conformable to his death in Philippians 3. So turn to Romans 6. told you we are going to move around a little bit. But we're going to try to compare Scripture with Scripture under leadership of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so what is that power of His resurrection? What does His resurrection and that power that we have availability of mean to us here and now? Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And that died is in the aorist tense. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, what, walk in newness of life. Now if anybody's seen a baptism take place, and different pastors use slightly different phrases, but... It all means, you know, when they bring him up out of the water, they say, raised to walk in newness of life. So we're conformed to his death through baptism. And baptism, as I stated before, and and Alan also, uh, we've talked about that, baptism has a whole lot more <laughs> significance to it than what a lot of churches uh add to it today and, and even myself when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a young child you know I went forward and proclaimed in front of the church And then you're supposed to get baptized that's the no next thing you're supposed to do so I told the pastor I'm going to get baptized and a couple of Sundays later on they fill up the baptistry I go up there and he says the same phrases and dunks me in the water but really in the New Testament if you see what was taking place there when they came preaching the message Baptism is what—not just saying that, hey, I got saved, so I'm going to get baptized because that's one of the church ordinances. Baptism was them; those Jews back then in the beginning, when they, Jesus and the disciples and John the Baptist even came preaching, repent. They were being baptized to say they wanted to; they, they intended to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They were marking themselves. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just I got saved so I'm supposed to get dunked in this baptistry because that's another church. You actually were marking themselves and saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A lot more to it. I've actually known a few people who follow the kingdom truths that have actually got baptized again because the first time they got baptized as a child or whatever, they didn't really understand that significance, so they've actually chosen to get baptized again as a kingdom believer or kingdom follower because they want that full, Lord, I want to follow you. So, uh, But we are, we are made conformable to his death through our baptism, and then when we were come up out of the water, the old man's supposed to stay, stay down. Dead to sin, right? And then it says that you might walk in newness of life, but that walk there in verse four is in the subjunctive mood in the Greek, which I believe if you've been listening to, if you've been able to make any of Jerry's Sunday school lesson, but the subjunctive mood is the one of doubt. So it may or may not happen. So just because you understand the full significance of being baptized and you're raised to walk in newness of life, doesn't mean that that's what you're going to continue to do. You know, because there's a possibility that you won't continue to walk in newness of life. And the word "life" there is, which Greek term? Zoe, Zoe life. That Jerry also mentioned again in the his Sunday school lesson. this morning. So that's how we are conformed to his death, is when we are baptized, if you understand that full significance of it, you're baptized, you're saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which carries a lot of weight to it too. What does that other verse, other phrase in verse 10 say? That you want to share in his sufferings. Right? The suffering always precedes the glory. Suffering always precedes the glory. But if we suffer with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us before the Father. And that denying, as we've stated before, just has to do with refusing to suffer (laughs) not being willing to suffer with him. So the power of his resurrection, yes, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. So how do we avail ourselves to that power of his resurrection? Turn to uh, Romans 8. Just a few pages over, very, very popular passage or chapter in the book of Romans. When I was in high school, uh, one of my Bible teachers—I can't remember what year it was—I was in high. I think it was my freshman year. I moved, just moved here from Ch- Indiana to Chattanooga, went to Temple High, and towards the end of my freshman year, uh, the Bible teacher—forgive me—I don't remember his name, but. Uh, he challenged me to uh, like memorize this whole chapter of Romans 8 during the summertime, which I did, but uh, didn't mean I understood it, but I memorized it, but uh, I couldn't quote you the whole thing, but I have a lot more understanding of it now than I did when I was 15. But Romans chapter 8, and also when I'm talking to a lot of believers about the kingdom truths, they throw this first part of verse 1 up to me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they just stop right there. I'm talking about the kingdom truths and about missing out on reigning with Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And boom. that's like Remember that trump card I talked about in my message when Uncle Frank Hack would play in Euchre at the farm? He'd hold that trump card, and he'd slap his Masonic ring down on the table. Trump card. So that's their trump card when I'm talking about the kingdom truths. But then if you see, if you continue on in the context, Mark, if you continue on in the context, there's several clauses after that opening verse. Like, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What's that last part of verse 4? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's that term walk again. And Jerry was talking about flesh and spirit a little bit in uh, some of the passages in Sunday school lesson. So if you took out all those clauses between verse 1 and verse 4, the last part of verse 4, it would read like this. What Paul was really saying was, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Because who's Paul talking to in Romans? I know the old Romans wrote and they teach you all the different verses when I was at temple to lead somebody to salvation, spirit salvation. But who is Paul really writing to in the book of Romans? Obviously we know it's the Romans. But was he, he wasn't writing to unbelievers once again. Remember, the natural man understandeth not the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. So the unsaved man, his spirit's dead, so he can't understand this stuff. So he was writing to believers here. So what he's saying is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And verse 4, that walk is present active in the Greek. And present tench has what type of action? Continuous action. It's ongoing. And the active this means that the, the person, the subject there, is the one doing the acting. Uh, action. Not acting. <laughs> They're the one doing the action. So in that walk, it says that's where a believer. There's no condemnation for a believer if they keep on walking, if they don't keep walking according to the flesh and they keep on walking according to the Spirit. Because once again, they could stop at some point in time. That's what carnal Christians are, right? Mark was talking about those in his messages in 1 John. They're believers, but they're walking according to their flesh. Or if you're another term in the, in the New Testament, it's taught walking in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. Those that walk in the darkness do what? They stumble and fall. But if you walk in the light, as He is in the light, remember, then you can see where you're going. And who is the light? Jesus Christ. So if you keep things in context, like I say, then go down to verse 9. There's another term used in Romans chapter 8. let Let's just keep reading. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And once again, he's not talking about unsaved people. Okay? He's not talking about unsaved people. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Now what Greek word do you think is that life there? Zoe. Verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so because their mind isn't right. Verse 8, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It can be plainer than that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, and then it's conditional, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And guess what tense that dwells is in in the Greek? It's present tense again. It continues to dwell in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Does that mean he's not, now all of a sudden he's lost his salvation? No. He doesn't have the mind of Christ. He doesn't have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in him because he's done something. As Mark was on, writing on the board that day, he would open and close those circuits on his schematic. So this believer has done something to disconnect the power source. Right? And what he did was he caused Sin. He started thinking fleshly, right? His mind was dwelling on the things of the flesh. He allowed sin to reign in him again, which he was not supposed to. Remember when he was buried in baptism, the old man was supposed to stay buried. He was supposed to be dead to sin, right? And then he was supposed to walk in newness of life. But the walk was subjunctive because it could or could not happen. So the believer allows sin into his life, And then the the circuit opens up and there's no flow of the power again. The power source is cut off. I know I'm not doing that justice, Mark, but I'm trying. But it's the power source is cut off. He's allowed sin into his life. And sin now reigns. And that dwelling is the same thing as you see in John 15. What's John 15 about? The vine. Remember what you're supposed to do with the vine? Abide in it, right? Abide. The dwelling's the same as the abide. So turn to John 15. Amen. <laughs> Probably better than what they're hearing up here. John 15. My voice is usually a lot higher than this, but I do have a raging head cold. So, And my wife says, yeah, right. But uh, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me. Abide in me. And that mood in verse 4 of abide is in the imperative mood. So really he's giving a command. (laughs) He's saying, hey, you you want that power source to keep flowing to you? You have to abide in me. The imperative mood is one of, they use for a command in the Greek. So he's saying, abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of, the, of itself unless it abides in the vine. And that abides is present, active, subjunctive again. Present is a continuous thing. You need to continually be abiding in the vine. Subjunctive, the mood, means may or may not happen. Once again, if you allow sin into your life, start reigning in your mortal being, that power source is cut off. The circuit opens up. You don't have any power. You don't have the power of the resurrection flowing to you. You just broke the circuit. Tripped the circuit, something like that. I tripped the circuit on our disposal in the sink the other day because my wife said that our ice maker, the ice is tasting funny. So she wanted me to dump the whole ice in there. And I didn't, I'm not, I'm a little OCD, so then the sink sort of looked disheveled because it had a bunch of ice in it. So then I turned on the water so it would start running down in the disposal. Then I flipped the disposal on it, but it had about two pounds of ice sitting on top of it. So it started grinding, and then all of a sudden it started humming, and then it just quit. So I went ahead and let the water run, and uh, then I had to crawl into the sink and push the circuit breaker back in on the bottom of the disposal, so the power source came through, and then the disposal, I healed it. I healed the disposal. But I, I pushed the circuit back in, so then the power flow came through again, and, the, and then the disposal works, Right? But as a believer, when you allow sin, or you sin, or you start thinking in the flesh and not in the spirit, you start walking in the flesh, not in the spirit, you start walking in the dark and not in the light, and you allow sin into your life, circuit breaker gets tripped, you don't have any power source. You can't avail yourself to the power of the resurrection. I've also had a gym membership at Planet Fitness by my house for four or five months. I haven't been yet, but I've had a membership. So I haven't lost any weight because I have not availed myself of the opportunity to go to the gym that my membership allows me to have, right? Now, we're mall walkers because my wife and I have gotten old enough that we don't look really weird walking around the mall with the rest of you old people (laughs) because I'm old. So we mall walk. So I'm maintaining my weight where it is from mall walking, but I'm not losing any because I hadn't gone to the gym in four or five months. But I do have a gym membership. So I got that going for me. <clears throat> and if we keep on in John 15, I won't keep hitting it. You have uh, you abide in verse four is also in the present active subjunctive. Verse 5, he who abides is a present active. Verse 6, the one that does not abide is in the present active subjunctive. And you can go to verse 8, go down to verse 8 because now it's not the term abide. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. But the bear there is present active subjunctive. So in the Christian's life, he may or may not bear much fruit. Verse 9, abide again, is an active imperative. So if you go to verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And once again, the imperative is a command. So you want that power source to stay hooked up? You want the power of the resurrection to keep flowing in your life? you got to abide in the vine. Well, how do you do that? Turn to James 1, James chapter 1. And once again, I text Al and I said it will be, my passage would be Philippians 3 and dot, 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 you know, a bunch of other passages, so I covered myself. James chapter 1 we're going to try to wind up, and I haven't sneezed yet, because my brother Don over here said he was going to pray me through the message because I got this raging head cold. And I said, man, if I sneeze, I don't want to have to cover the microphone or tell the people listening, back away from your computer speakers. But I don't, I'm not one of those people that pinches off your nose like that. My, one of my brother-in-laws has done that his whole life. But I always heard that could cause some serious brain problems or whatever if you push off that much pressure. Now, he's been married to my sister for 50 years. She may think he has brain damage, but as far as I know, Carl still functions properly. So, But uh, I don't pinch off my sneezes, so I didn't want to like, blow a speaker out or something like that. James chapter 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, or the faith of you, produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we can read on down through there. So are you going to go through trials in the Christian life? Absolutely. So get down to verse uh, 19. <clears throat> this you know, my brother, beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, therefore, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. How do you stay ab- abiding in the vine? Or how do you have the dwelling, as it mentioned in the other passage? You've got to be in the word. Remember, the living word and the written word are one and the same. They're inseparable. And the living word is Jesus Christ. The written word is what we have right here. Remember when he was telling the uh, Pharisees, he said, you know, you've got to eat of my flesh and all that. And they were like, what is he talking about? He wasn't talking about cannibalism, okay? He was talking about the living word and the written word being the same thing. This is Jesus Christ. You want to eat of his flesh? You got to ingest his word. You got to let the word implanted transform you. That's how you stay abiding in the vine. Abide in the vine. Dwell. And then we'll finish it in Galatians 5 and 6. And I'm not going to, Jerry was in that in the. The uh, Sunday School message this morning, so we won't hammer down on too much of that. Verse 16 of chapter 5 of Galatians. Once again it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Then it talks about helping a sinning brother. Then go down to verse six. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God's not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, and Jerry always talked about sowing will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life for the age. And if you missed Jerry's Sunday School lesson, there is no Greek term for eternal or everlasting. And this term in here in this verse is Ionios, which means an age. And that's Zoe life. So... He reads, life for the age, if, it's conditional again, if you walk by the Spirit, or you sow to the Spirit and you don't sow to the flesh. And I grew up in the farmland in central Indiana, but my dad didn't plant gardens and do all that. He worked for Citizens Gas and Coke Utility. But my aunt had a farm. But all I did was do some stuff at the apple barn, so I didn't have to do any row in the making furrows down straight ones and planting like Jerry was talking about. But the power of the resurrection, you got to stay hooked up to the power source, and you got to allow the power source to keep flowing through to you. The only way to do that is to be in this Word right here. Let the implanted Word transform your mind and your life. And that's how you stay abiding in the vine, or you stay walking in the spirit, or you stay walking in the light, or as we learn about in 1 John in the message, you, your actions are born out of God, remember? And not born from down here below, they're born from above. But once you allow sin, or you start walking in the flesh, or walking in the dark, You've just tripped the breaker. You've cut off your power source. And you won't bear much fruit. Remember? Those who walk in the flesh cannot please God. Can't be any simpler than that. So, honey, I did talk on the resurrection. I didn't do the normal out of the gospel resurrection story. But Jesus lives. And he's coming back pretty soon. A lot sooner than... Even a lot of believers want to admit or think about. So let's close in a word of prayer. And then also, we're going to do communion this morning to remember His sacrifice for us. So let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for the resurrection. We thank You for Your Son and what He did for us and the power that we avail ourselves of because of his resurrection. We pray that you'd just go with us as we uh, walk through this world, this fallen world, that we might uh, be a testimony of that resurrection power in our daily lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen.